This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, we are super excited to once again be joined by special guest, Mr. Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Always enjoyable to have you across the way. Yeah, it's the passion, right? If it's July, early July, everybody go on vacation. I'm getting ready to do that. Uh, take some time, take a break from football. But we've certainly learned a lot. We more than anything know a lot of questions that we want to see answered in real time and training camp and preseason, especially in the regular season. And it's always stimulating. Uh, it's going to be another class of impactful rookies. And we already have the nice thing. Usually we do this show, our follow-up show, Paul, like a week or two after the draft. And when the destinations are really fresh and sizzling in our heads. But now we've had OTAs. We've had rookie mini camps. So we've got a few extra data points maybe to give us more context for the early trajectory of these rookies. Absolutely. It's, it's really exciting to, to pick your brain. Let's start the quarterback position with the mm-hmm. rookies, because I know a lot of people have had their rookie drafts, but there's still some people that maybe have July or August rookie drafts kind of, you know, or even, you know, maybe startup dynasty leagues coming. If rewind X amount of years ago, we sat right. here and had a conversation and I remember you being higher on Lamar Jackson in one quarterback rookie drafts yeah, than just about anybody else because you looked at him as a guy who could be an X factor, a difference maker. And I remember you saying, I don't care that it's not two quarterback leagues. We know two quarterback leagues. Anthony Richardson right there at the top with B. John Robinson, any way you want to put him one, two, I'm, I'm assuming is the order they would go. But you really spoke on behalf of Lamar Jackson that year that you would take him real high even in a one quarterback league. With the way this rookie class, not as star-driven, especially at the wide receiver position compared to years past, same take you had on Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Is that how you found Anthony Richardson when evaluating him as a prospect in terms of fantasy? Yeah, I think the third or fourth overall in your rookie drafts, I think in your redraft leagues, he should be a late-round pick just to see what happens. It does seem like maybe they're preparing us for him not to start week one or – uh, leaving open that possibility, which is fine. I trust Shane Steichen. I trust the Colts. But bottom line, if we're talking about fantasy football, is we're looking for players that can break fantasy football. We're looking for players that can redefine expectations. And you brought up Lamar Jackson. I think that Anthony Richardson has that same outlook as a runner, as Lamar Jackson, as Justin Fields. And I don't think any of us had Justin Fields projecting as dangerous of an open field runner as Lamar Jackson and you know the OG Michael Vick, right? Uh, so you have that with Anthony Richardson. You have a coach who made a success out of Jalen Hurts. So that helps the long term. But even in the short term, Justin Fields was an atrocious. Well, I shouldn't say Justin Fields was an atrocious passer. The Bears passing game was an atrocious passing game. And Justin Fields was a very much an impactful fantasy player. So I don't I think there's a lot more to be gained by reaching for Richardson or getting excited and investing in him than there is in underestimating his potential. Because Paul, as we've said before, we've never seen an athlete like Richardson at quarterback before. Never. This is a new and I like having new unknown upside players on my roster. Yeah, for sure. And I think you could almost even tie the, the pushback to Anthony Richardson has been way less 
yeah. than I think it would have been X amount of years ago if it wasn't for me and you and a few others sure. really promoting Josh Allen saying, don't just look at his statistics as the be end end all at Wyoming. Right. Look, look at the tools and how that can translate at the next level. And we and you and Nick Whalen and a couple others really stood tall for Josh Allen, that, that draft class. And I feel like if Josh Allen didn't hit the way he's hit, I feel like the, the, the loudness of how people were pushing back against Josh Allen may have came into fruition again here with Anthony Richardson right. based on the accuracy, the completion percentage, some of the, 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 the easy throws that he doesn't make look too easy. Right. And I think, I think there's been a little bit of a shift. I think Jalen hurts developing into the player. He mm-hmm. has, has kind of aided in that as well. Do you think if it wasn't for hurts becoming who he has, if it wasn't for Josh Allen, you know, overcoming what he was in college to what he is now, do you think there'd be a little bit more pushback for Anthony Richardson to develop into maybe that game changer that we think he could be? I think, and you know, Paul, we can even go back to Cam Newton. I think there's some uh, parallels between Cam Newton and Anthony Richardson too. Not that uh, Richardson had that kind of standout season that Newton had at Auburn, but you have small sample size, you know, the Parcells school of thought, small sample size, throw them out right away, right? Small sample size quarterbacks. Uh, You have quarterbacks who show affirmative flaws in college that we are seeing develop. And I'm glad you brought up Jalen Hurts because I think whether it's Hurts or Allen or even we'll see about Justin Fields, this impacts how we're evaluating Justin Fields in fantasy football, his range of outcomes. Quarterbacks can't improve. And it's really on the offensive coordinator, right? It's on the offensive coordinator to meet them halfway, including schematic play design issues where you're making the job easier. So you know, we saw Jalen Hurts, uh, who had a processor that was maybe a half beat slow. And last year, you saw that processor get up to speed. Josh Allen, like you said, with those layup throws, I know that's one of the issues with Anthony Richardson. So I do think we have to be open to quarterbacks improving quarterbacks, uh, especially with the help of the offensive coordinator and the surrounding personnel, uh, improving flaws that we consider fatal flaws. At least we used to consider fatal flaws. And this is the last point I want to make on Anthony Richardson. Matt Waldman and others, uh, including uh, private quarterback coach Will Hewlett, who's one of the preeminent private quarterback coaches who he has on his show, said, you can watch Anthony Richardson from the beginning of last year to the end of last year, and you see him learning. Sometimes even within a game, you see him learning. And I think what we need to be sure about is not that uh, the sign of a quarterback that's going to hit it big in the NFL is that they don't struggle from the beginning. Because, I mean, look at Peyton Manning's rookie year. You look at some of the rookie years of these quarterbacks. No, it's quarterbacks who can learn from their mistakes. It's quarterbacks who can understand what the game is trying to teach them about how they can bring to bear what they have on a football field and live like Josh Allen has right at that razor's edge where your gifts, your traits, your mental toughness, your competitive toughness keeps you right at the edge of the plays that you can make aspirational. But at the same time, you can only find those limits by going past them. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year from Anthony Richardson. But I also think you're going to see that in the service of the quarterback that he could become. And I am just going to be interested to see if the Colts see it that way as a quarterback that learns on the job as opposed to a quarterback that should be put in an incubator. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. And I think we know the ceiling case scenario for Anthony Richardson. I think if we pivot to the other top two quarterbacks, 
there's a lot of debate there. So mm-hmm. where do you kind of stand on, do you have a preference, a clear preference right. between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud? Do you like either at a landing spots in particular right. better than the other? And then third, and kind of to conclude it, do you see a path for any of these guys the way the game is played now, the way the fantasy game is played with most elite level quarterbacks being having some type of rushing component. Do you see a scenario where these guys can get above QB eight, QB seven in a really good year? Or is that maybe the ceiling best case scenario? If one of these guys puts together a 35 or 40 touchdown type passing season, right? You're right to point out that the bar is getting higher and higher for fantasy quarterbacks. Uh, it's really interesting to compare and contrast these two guys. I prefer Young. And the main reason I prefer Young is you see what he's done outside of structure. You see what he's done when he, he's had to square off of de- square off against defenses in an asymmetrical way. And I think that's a much better simulation for what quarterbacks have to face in the NFL than how quarterbacks perform within structure. And I think C.J. Stroud has shined a lot more within structure. And as far as the situations, you have to like Young landing with Frank Reich and Thomas Brown and Deuce Staley. Uh, you know, these guys, Thomas Brown and Deuce Staley, are going to be head coaches within, what, two, three years at the most. Uh, and you're bringing in the Sean McVay bloodlines here with Thomas Brown. Uh, you're bringing in a lot of successful offensive programs. Uh, I, I think that Bryce Young, as a passer, as his processor speed, his competitive toughness when it comes to continuing to be aggressive and attack as a passer, even while the play is breaking down. And he did not have a lot around him at Alabama. This is not your typical Alabama offense in terms of future pros at the skill positions. CJ Shroud's interesting just because of that Georgia game, because we saw him start to make plays outside of structure. We saw his athleticism. Uh, I think that we saw him show things that if those things come online and he has probably the better offensive line, right? He's got Tunsil. He's got Titus Howard. It's kind of funny how everybody dunked on the Texans for getting Howard instead of Dillard that year. Dillard's Mm -hmm. maybe going to start for the Titans Uh, this year. Maybe, uh, you have a better offensive line. Bobby Slovak's interesting. Again, you're bringing in a Kyle Shanahan bloodline. You're bringing in offensive schemes that make the job easier for the quarterback. Um, so there's some things going in CJ Trout's favor. But to your final question about fantasy implications, right? Uh, let's get down there. That's where I think you have to at least pay attention to Hendon Hooker. And it's going to be his red shirt year. Okay. He's not going to play this year. He's probably going to be on the NFI list. Uh, however, What's the main knock on Hendon Hooker? That he's just is so robotic. He's just playing within structure, right? Well, isn't that Jared Goff? I mean, isn't that what we know Jared Goff can and can't do, right? Jared Goff, if the play as designed works, if the, quarter, if the coach can be in his ear until 15 seconds before the play, is, they cut it off. Bill Belichick knew that. Uh, then you can, Jared Goff can be fine. So if you're going to say out of all the 32 teams, if you have a quarterback, all he can do is half field reads. All he can do is pre-digested like a mama bird and a baby bird, right? All he can do is these pre-digested reads, pre-digested processing of the defense. But he does have athleticism. He does have the requisite arm strength. He does have the tools and traits otherwise that you look for a quarterback. Is this not the perfect offense for him? So I think from a long-term fantasy standpoint, it would not surprise me at all if Hooker actually ends up being a better fantasy quarterback than Young or Stroud, even though Young and Stroud have a much better chance of having a long and fruitful career. Yeah, I think you make some really good points there. Because when you really stop and think about it, if Hooker was ever to develop and be 
similar passing wise to Jared Goff, you're also then probably talking about 500 rushing yards, right? And a, and a guy who reminded me a lot of as a runner of like a young Dante Culpepper who's gonna who can get five, six, seven touchdowns inside the 10 yard line with his rushing capabilities. So if you could ever get the Jared Goff passing stats, but then chime in, you know, five touchdowns rushing and four or 500 yards, well, then you're talking about getting over that ceiling that maybe you know, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud have in a best-case scenario, right? I think most people will agree the floor is significantly higher for Stroud and Young because we know they're going to get their opportunity, right? If Jared Goff plays great this year and they give him a long-term, you know, they give him a contract extension, it could be a while, if ever, before Hendon Hooker truly gets that opportunity. It's it's one of those little side plots of of the season that's going to be fascinating because I think the Lions are going to be pretty good. I think the yeah. NFC is pretty wide open, right? Besides the Eagles, you know, and we'll see about the quarterback situation with San Francisco. If the Lions make a deep run and Goff plays well, are they going to have the conviction to say, we're going to hand the keys over to Hendon Hooker, even though Jared Goff just got us to say, that you know, the second round of the playoffs or right, right. the NFC championship game. It's going to be a little interesting to, to kind of see that subplot and how it plays itself out for sure. Uh, let's take this over to the running back conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll start right at the top. And it's not even about rookie drafts because we all know B. John stands alone. Right. But if you if you were starting right now, start up Dynasty Draft. The question I continue to ask people just to kind of see their perspective, is there anybody you would want ahead of Bijan at the running back position? Does he warrant being right up there with the elite wide receivers who, who are at mm-hmm. the top of startup Dynasty Drafts like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase? And maybe even a, a little bit smaller window, where do you kind of, where would you have your conviction for redraft right. in terms of the B. John conversation? Right. Because I haven't done a lot just yet. I'm kind of getting ready to start dipping my you know toes back into the best ball world. And then obviously come August into the redraft type leagues. I'm he's going to be right either at number one or number two, and I'm going to sure. go all in, in my perspective. So I've been picking people's brains to see where they kind of stand on B. John. Yeah, I think that, Stepping through those things you're asking about, uh, he is the number one fantasy running back in dynasty leagues. I I don't even think you can make a strong case for anybody else. I don't know, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I'm not really sure who else you make a strong case for at this point when you're looking at where they're at on their career arc and what kind of production you're going to harvest over the remaining career life of the player. Uh, as far as is he worth this? You know, it, should he be mentioned in the same breath as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson? Uh, you know, uh, maybe if we get to a little older running uh, wide receiver like a Tyreek Hill, you get to a closer equivalency. The problem is with Chase and Jefferson is in a wide receiver uh, career arc outlook. You know, they're still on the upslope of their career arc, so that's tough. That's a tough sell. But B. John Robinson comes in right after that. Uh, from a redraft perspective, I think he's a very rational pick at the end of the first round or second half of the first round. I even understand, as you said, Paul, if it gives you hesitation to take a Christian McCaffrey over him or even uh, Austin Eckler over him, because what you have with Bijan Robinson that's so exciting is that if you watch the Falcons last year, their efficiency running the ball really started to take off in the second half of the year with Tyler Algier and with not much of a passing game to threaten the opponent, right? Marcus Mariota was, I think we're going to look back, Paul, and say that 2022 Marcus Mariota was one of the worst starting quarterbacks we've watched, uh, no matter how you slice it, and analytics numbers-wise. So you saw that with Arthur Smith. The pass attempts went from 23 to 28 a game, going from Mariota 
to Desmond Ritter. Wow. I mean, they, that's how much more he trusted Desmond Ritter as a third-round rookie than Marcus Mariota. Now with the entire offseason, also, of course, they bring back all the key pieces of the offensive line, right? They go double offensive line. They bring, uh, like four years ago, they bring back McGarry and Lindstrom. Uh, you know, they, they've got a solid offensive line. They've got continuity there. Now you have top 10 picks at these three skill positions. And Kyle Pitts, we're going to watch his knee at the beginning of training camp, had some offseason knee surgery. Drake London, who's a massive hit. Good job on that pick. And now Bijan Robinson. So this offense should get more efficient. And I think that you're going to have more balance. I think you're going to, I, I, we may look back, Paul, and say, hey, Arthur Smith, when he made this offense so single-minded about the run, he was just rationally looking at what he had and said, how can we win games? How can we actually hang in games? So if you have a functional passer in Desmond Ritter, then I think this offense could improve greatly. And I think that uh, B. John Robinson in the late first round are starting running back, running back. Robinson and Taylor is a start that you can pull off right now. Robinson and Pollard, Robinson and Chubb. Those guys are going later in the second round right now. But I think by the time we get to hot and heavy fantasy draft season, they'll be higher. I think it's a great way to start your draft. And I think that Bijan Robinson could be the kind of player, Paul, like you said, two, three weeks into the season, will say he should have been the first running back off the board. Yeah, I'm right there with you when it comes to B. John and and the excitement level that is, you know, we see a lot of teams trending towards the pass, and then there's still a couple, right, that are gonna that mm-hmm. are gonna run the ball, and that's gonna be the foundation of their offense. But you know, if he's as good as we anticipate him to be, I do think it opens up the door a little bit for Pitts in London to have some efficiency because teams are gonna have to try to say, okay, we gotta lock down B. John, we gotta stack the box. And if Ritter could be competent and functional, I think that opens it up for for London and, and Pitts and that offense collectively to be a really fun offense to watch i think it's gonna be a lot of people's like trendy sleeper pick in terms of winning the nfc south uh and and i think a lot of that has to do with b john and and just that run game in general we take this to jameer gibbs like surprise of draft night i almost wish i was still on uh, on the show with you guys because i think that was like the first real surprise on draft night was you know, and then the rumors coming out that the Jets were going to maybe take him at 15. The Lions were thinking right. about taking him if they stayed at six. We don't know what's true and what's not. But obviously the Lions, you know, you sort of video post-draft of like them like really celebrating. Yeah. Like they had just, you know, won the lottery for like, you know, the kid coming over from France this past year in basketball. Like they right. were really stoked when they made that Jameer Gibbs pick. Uh They signed David Montgomery in the offseason. Obviously they traded out DeAndre Swift. More when you look at Jameer Gibbs, because we know he's the second running back from the, from this draft class. What do you think is the ideal usage? Is it Austin Eckler, Alvin right. Kamara? Is it right. less than that? How do you? What do you think? Your What do you think he could handle? What do you think the Lions envision for him? Since they did invest such a high pick on him, a lot they envision a lot for him, and I think you know, Paul. I can toss this back to you, right? Um, I, where do we even start? Is it right to even evaluate this pick as a running back pick? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the thing is that we're going to start to see, right? We, we're starting to see, I think you're going to start to see more running backs maybe go back into round one because you get the fifth year. Then you could tag them, and that's six years. If you really want to tag them and really push the envelope, you could tag them for seven. When their guy's an offensive weapon, I think right. we're going to start to see some – I think we're going to start to see less – people say you shouldn't draft a running back in round one or how high. If they're an offensive weapon that changes the focus of a defense and changes your offense completely, 
I think they're going to be worth it. Yeah, and offensive coordinators, and Ben Johnson looks like he's one of the best right now. And his track record says enough as it is. But I think that the good offensive coordinators, Paul, understand that it's all about mismatches. It's all about having so that your 11 and their 11, there's going to be something going into the week that you're saying they can't match up with this player. Or if they match up with this player with this guy, then that's going to leave. Because you have to put this draft together, okay? Don't just look at it as Jameer Gibbs. And like you said, they signed Dave Montgomery too. That's going to help the efficiency of the offense. Put this draft and last year's draft together, right? Jamison Williams, after six games, spend time talking about that. I don't know. It's going to just annoy me. After six weeks off, you're going to get Jamison Williams. You're going to get Sam Laporta. You're going to get Jameer Gibbs. You already have Ammon Ross St. Brown, who we know is a versatile player, and there's some talk about using him more on downfield routes because he doesn't have to be the player that just moves the sticks, right? So when you deploy personnel packages that have Laporta, Gibbs, Williams in a straight line speed, Ammon Ross St. Brown, how do you match up with that? How do you have players or a scheme defensively that can account for all those players. And then you have Ben Johnson and his play designs and Jared Goff, who obviously feels very much in tune with what he's being asked to do. And I think that this is the thing about Jameer Gibb. You talk about uh, ideal usage. I mean, Kamara, Eckler, these are good names to throw out. And they're names to throw out just for fantasy football for people to remember. Hey, uh, he can get Gibbs eight, nine carries a game. And still, if he's involved in the passing game, he was Alabama's leading receiver, Okay then he's going to be a hit for fantasy football as a fourth round pick right now in redraft leagues. I think that he looks very attractive in your point per reception leagues. And it's not just the volume in the passing game, Paul, as Emery Hunt pointed out, Emery, Emery's awesome. New Orleans represent um, on that track, on that fast track. This is why they think they were so focused on him. This is why I think they took Sam Laporte over Michael Mayer, who maybe is a better two-way tight end, right? They're, they're one, they want to create explosive plays, right? They want to create knockout blows, and these are the kind of players that can do that. So I think, again, Gibbs a la Richardson, um, don't put artificial limits on what this player can do because of the players that have come before. Because I, th- I would argue, Paul, between the efficiency of this offense, the innovation this offense has shown, and how focused they were on getting Gibbs. They have a plan for him, and I think that it's going to be exciting. And was, this, let's turn this into a Detroit Lions show, right? <laughs> uh, uh, remember, the league picked the Lions as that Thursday night opponent, right? For Kansas City, this, the, the season opener. Like you said, talking about not just going to the playoffs, but winning a playoff game. I think that they're going to help you win a lot of fantasy football games and get to the fantasy football playoffs along the way yeah Gibbs is one of those guys that I think I think I'm going to be higher on him in most settings as well because I'm right there with you I think the the lens we have of running backs in round one like Ben Johnson is a probably in a handful of guys that I would say we would, we would trust in terms of understanding how to utilize a player to his best strengths, right? Obviously yeah. we got Kyle Shanahan, you know, we got Dable and Kafka, I think would fit into that. Andy Reid, other, other people like that. So I think he ended up in a right situation. And as you said, 
you know, once Jamison Williams gets back and the speed component that he can bring, and then the attention that I'm on Ra, and then they have a mismatch tight end in Laporta, they're not going to be able to really focus in on Jameer Gibbs as a weapon in the passing game coming out of that backfield. Obviously, they're going to they're going to try to, but he's not going to be option one or option two at best. The d- defense is going to look at him as the third guy they got to worry about, and potentially even the fourth or fifth guy. You know the way things play out, so it's going to be really fascinating to kind of see the usage and the role there. I think there's plenty to go around, even if David Montgomery's getting 12 carries a game or something right. and stealing some touchdowns. I don't think that's going to take away from the upside that, that Jameer Gibbs brings to the table and the explosiveness is which is what you were talking about. And then leads me into my next question for you. You may have changed it a little bit, but post sure. bloom one post draft bloom 100. I think from what I saw in the industry, yeah. nobody had the next two running backs as Devin A. Chain and Ty J. Spears ahead of Kendry Miller and Zach Charbonnet. Maybe somebody had one of them, yeah. probably A. Chain, but no one had their three, four that I saw anywhere be the combination of A. Chain and Ty J. Spears before the Kendry Miller and Zach Charbonnet. Most people had Charbonnet third, then Kendry Miller fourth, and then sometimes you got the A. Chain and then even some other guys sometimes before uh, b- before Ty J. Spears. What is it that has you more intrigued with A. Chain? And Spears, then Charbonnet Miller, is it the explosiveness, the big play, kind of what we were alluding to there with Jameer Gibbs? Yeah, I think that, uh, and I'm not going to tell anybody, Charbonnet is running back three in this rookie class from a fantasy dynasty perspective. I'm not going to go to the mat and say, that's terrible, that's wrong. And maybe if I was doing a fantasy draft today, a rookie draft, I might put Charbonnet third, uh, partially because, boy, things are looking bleak for the Titans. Um, and also just because of that lingering doubt about Dalvin Cook in Miami. But I think that some of the stuff we talked about, you, you hinted at it when you said this is kind of a smooth transition from Gibbs to A-Chain and Spears. It's because they can be more of offensive weapons because they have big playability. And uh, in the case of Miller and Charbonnet, you have both of those guys blocked. Uh, Jamal Williams is probably going to be there for a couple of years, although they do think the Saints do hope and think that Miller becomes th- that guy for them, that lead back for them. Uh, Charbonnet, Kenneth Walker's there. I think Charbonnet's being underestimated in redraft leagues, by the way. I think that he's going in the 10th or 11th round, and even with 40%, like something like what they were looking at with a- Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, except with uh, in Green Bay, except with Charbonnet getting more of the passing game work. Um, so Spears, I'm just really excited about as a player. I'm going to refer to Matt Waldman, comparing him to Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles, not Jamal Williams. Jamal Charles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Paul, how many times have we heard a player fall in the draft because of this or that medical concern? And then it just never really comes up again. And sometimes it does. But, uh, again, the Titans feel like a limiting factor. I want to talk a little bit more about A-Chain. And I'm not that 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 worried about Dalvin Cook. One of the things you have to love about A-Chain is you hear out of OTAs, and this is one of those where because we're talking, Paul, in early July instead of May, we can talk about this. Uh, being used in the passing game a lot, that's exciting. That's really exciting. And the, what excites me most about A-Chain is watching the Dolphins' offense last year and how wide open the middle of the field was and how to defend Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. You really saw defenses distorted to create a lot of space. I think just because of that fear of these guys getting behind you. And I think about Devin a chain getting the ball on a swing pass, uh, getting the ball on a Texas route, you know, where he's going to get the ball maybe at the, at the first or second level of the defense. And with his speed, he may only have to make one man miss 
to really take that ball deep uh, and maybe uh, create those chunk plays. So I think he's getting into a unique situation where, Paul, we know that Mike McDaniel's running game is going to be good, right? And we even saw with Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert at times last year, fantasy relevance, neither of them could really stay healthy. They were brought back, I think, more as, uh, well, we have these guys, we know what they can do in the system, but what if we get someone who can do more? That's A-Chain and maybe Dalvin Cook. But even if Dalvin Cook is there, he can't do some of the things that A-Chain can do right now. Yeah, and the Devin A-Chain, he's been my RB. He was my RB3 on draft night. He's my RB3 now. <laughs> like, you know, like if I would have said, like, before the draft, if somebody who said, name the one perfect marriage of player to team, it right. would be Devin A-Chain to Miami. Like, right. even more than San Francisco. Because McDaniel has that other guys. People got to fear Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. They are not going to be able to keep their attention on a running back with the speed and the burst and the explosion of Devin A-Chain. And he's one of those few guys that, like, yeah, 10, 11 touches – might be That's enough it. to be really fantasy viable because they're not going to be three yards into the line of scrimmage no. to pick up three. That's just not what it's going to be. And yeah, maybe Dalvin Cook goes there for one year and it kind of limits a little bit this year. But if we're taking more of a big picture thing, I still think Devin A. Chain, that landing spot, that coach, that scheme, you know, green light ahead in terms of the usage. No, he's not going to satisfy the people, the old school train of thought of they want their running back to look like this and be this size and this dimension. But it's a different game now, right? It's a totally different way. It's played much more space, much more open. Guys are never going to very few, if ever, they're, you know, they're very much outliers now when guys who are going to carry 18 to 25 times a game. That's just not the way the league is anymore. It's always going to be a multifaceted running back approach. So that's what gets me excited uh, about a chain right there with you. Is there another running back from, you know, we've talked about Charbonnet Miller a lot, so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll go past that. Is there, is there someone from the tank Bigsby? Do you think sure. he could really work his way to a, a split there? Is it Roshan Johnson in Chicago? Could he be this year's Damian sure. Pierce? If he can, if he can kind of jump ahead of what's there in that bears backfield, is there anybody from that group that gets you excited? Well, there's a plenty of guys. I mean, I'm just could, I'll just cram a bunch in here because I know we want to talk about the other positions. I think there's a lot of exciting players, and again, I think from a redraft perspective, some of these guys are interesting. Tank Bigsby comes to mind right away because look, Travis Etienne not exactly hitting his best case scenario as a pro, not as a receiver, not really as a runner. He had some moments after James. Robinson got traded. And I think by using a third round pick, remember when teams take a player in the third round, they probably have a second round grade on them. I think they see Bigsby as a committee back. And I think ETN is even saying like, yeah, you know, I could use the help or either bringing in help. ETN, there's a bit of resignation in some of the things he said. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bigsby has something close to the role that James Robinson had last year to open the season. And at least one of the beat writers can't remember who said, Hey, the way they are going to lot this work, it might be a hot hand approach where in some games, Bigsby could get more work than ETN. You look at it from a fantasy draft perspective, they're 10 or rounds more apart. It's not reflecting that. Um, but you can step through the rest of, of this draft class, Paul, and there's a lot of really interesting guys. You mentioned Rashawn Johnson. I do think he, he has much better competition than Jamie Pierce had for touches, and Khalil Herbert has affirmatively shown us that he's good. All right? So he's not going to just go away. But Rashawn Johnson's the only legit three down back they have on that roster and if this is an offense that takes a step forward with Justin Fields with Luke Getze in his second year designing scheming things then there could be a lot more production in the running game that's not Justin Fields than we thought I was mentioned Zach Evans 
If you don't believe in Cam Akers, Zach Evans is a real interesting sixth round pick. Talent wise, more like a third round pick, but maybe off the field or the kind of personality that teams aren't quite sure about. Is he a Bonnie Conda? If I'm saying his last name right. He, you, if right behind a chain, Paul, if we're talking about hand and glove with your strengths and what the offensive running game scheme calls for. Brees Hall, we'll see if there's a setback or if they just want to ease Brees Hall in. Abonic kind of can get out there and make his mark. Uh, we can go even a little deeper, talk about Dwayne McBride. Hey, if Alexander Madison isn't ready to be an every week full-time workload back and by week seven, eight is getting banged up, McBride is the more natural replacement for him than Ty Chandler or Kenny Nwongwu. Uh, I also want to mention Denier Prince and the undrafted running backs. He's had a great spring. Almost every Chiefs outlet says of all the undrafted free agents, he's the one that has the best chance of making the roster this year. Isaiah Pacheco is coming back off of two surgeries. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is, well, we know what he is. We know what Jarek McKinnon is. So it seems to me like Prince could be the guy if Pacheco is slow to come back to get an opportunity right away. And he's got home run speed in this offense that can create those chunk plays. That's far from an exhaustive list, but I, I do think if you look through these running backs because of the specific situations, because of the fits, there are some really interesting guys well outside of the top five. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you brought up Prince because like we saw Kansas city, they're willing to play a late round pick or, you know, like we saw it last year with Isaiah Pacheco, right? Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're a team that has proven that they're willing to give touches to guys who may be not based on draft capital and, you know, open the competition up there. We've already seen it. And that's a situation where they're going to put the guy on the field who's who, who they think gives them the best chance that week and not base it off of, you know, draft capital and stuff like that. Like you mentioned some really good names, even Chris Rodriguez. I know Scott Barrett yeah. over at fantasy points. He's really been pushing that. He you think that's a, a really interesting player. There's a lot of those guys that'll be interesting to see if any of them kind of develop uh, and get an opportunity, right? And then kind of waiting in the wings, and you didn't mention unless I, I, I didn't hear it, Chase Brown and Eric Gray, you sure. know, the Joe Mixon and the Saquon Barkley situation probably will resolve itself to them playing where they are this year. But by the offset chance, it doesn't. Or if any of them suffer an injury, right? either one of those guys could be thrust into a massive sure. you know, potential opportunity on, hopefully, if the Giants continue, a both good offenses compared to where they were last year in terms of you know production from the running game. So those two guys, it's an interesting running back class, right? I know yeah. a lot of talk's been B. John and Jameer Gibbs. But overall, I think there's going to be some interesting pieces that also pop up after the top two and i'll just throw in one more and i say we say um, evan hall with the Colts yeah. because jonathan taylor isn't fully over his ankle yeah his ankle surgery so you know th- this is another one where we have to watch because who is deon jackson zach moss i mean no i think evan hall is a guy who's a good receiver out of the backfield he's got good speed he's athletic so i i think that there, there's it's a young man's position and that's the other thing paul that we have to factor in here is used to be the running back cliff was what 30 now it seems like it's 28 or 29 maybe even 27 for the guys that really get worked heavy earlier in their career so i think it's becoming more and more of a young man's position and I, i just think that we we have to keep our mind open to any of these guys and the other thing i want to just point out and I think you do a great job. As I'm looking, by the way, episode 576. Congratulations on that. Anything. You keep going for this long. But as people that are loyal listeners to your show know, 
Um, the difference, especially if we're looking at narrowly running the ball, because we like to think running back sets your job on the ball. Well, actually, teams, I think, are much more valuing the passing game contributions of a running back, right? And we often talk about pass blocking, keeping running backs off the field as a rookie, et cetera, et cetera. But if we look at these guys, you mentioned Rodriguez, I mentioned McBride, um, and you just look at them narrowly as a runner, a lot of them are the equals of the running backs that went a lot earlier in the draft, right? It's just a question of them getting an opportunity. So don't think that because a running back fell to the fifth, sixth, seventh round, that they're that much below those second day running backs in terms of ability or talent to get first downs, to do the things that a team needs to move the ball. It's just a question of getting that opportunity. And I think that we see that that talent gap at running back is not as narrow or sorry, it's not as wide as the, vast golf and draft capital sometimes makes it seem yeah and i think you make the point i think you can make the case that that's for running back more than any other right. position in the entire football league like i think the disparity sometimes in talent level for quarterbacks is drastic wide receivers at time significant offensive linemen very but running backs we know a ton don't go in the first top 100 picks. So that means it doesn't mean that there's only four good running backs right. in the college football, right? I mean, there's tons of good running back. A lot of it's opportunity. A lot of it's, you know, just positional value and stuff like that. Like a fifth round running back is probably very close in talent to a third round running back yeah. and a sixth round to a, a late third round or an early fourth round. So I think draft capital gets players an opportunity quicker and maybe a longer leash, but doesn't mean that the talent disparity between them is all that significant, maybe compared to other positions. So I think that's a really strong point there uh, that, that you brought to the light. Let's take this over to the pass catchers. We'll start with tight ends. Cause it's really just one question Four guys taken in like, I think it was like the top 42 picks, like very, very strong tight end class. As you kind of break, break yeah. them out a little bit is, do you see a clear separation? Is it Kincaid in Buffalo and his pass catching upside? Is it, you know, we've already talked about where Detroit Lions show right, today. Right. Is it Sam Laporta? Is it the more balanced of Michael Mayer? Or is it kind of the untapped upside in Luke Musgrave? Is there one or two that, that you're like, where they're going, the value, what I think they could do? These are the guys I'd want to target. I think Laporte is the one who's the most attractive, but I'm going to say Kincaid is also not that far off in terms of your bang for your buck. And Kincaid, you're going to get in the second half of the first round of rookie drafts, and he lands in an ideal situation with Josh Allen in that offense. Uh, he should become really the slot receiver and provide something. Dane Brugler said when he was on my show that Kincaid might be the best pass catcher in this class. That includes wide receivers. So you also like that for fantasy. There's a real simple high-level thing we can do when we look at draft capital. How much of that draft capital is connected to the stuff we care about for fantasy football? And how much is connected to the stuff that teams value that we don't really value in fantasy football? Maybe that's more of a Michael Mayer take. And also it's the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders are really going to create a lot of overachievers at this point in their offense, no. But Laporta is going three, four, five picks or more later than... Uh, Kincaid. Sometimes Laporta is not even the tight end two off the board in rookie drafts I've done up to this point. And Laporta, I want to again quote Thor Nystrom. Thor's awesome. Thor's, uh, he brings so much enthusiasm and excitement to this whole evaluation of college players through an NFL lens. And he said that Iowa might have had one of the worst power five offenses in the last 25 years if they didn't have Laporta. And I love that because that tells me that even when they know it's coming, 
Laporta is going to be able to get it done. Obviously, that Iowa tight end competitive toughness that we love after a catch. And again, I think that Detroit's offense has the potential to be a multiplier of everyone's value. So Laporta would come in second there. And I would probably even take Musgrave over Mayer because of that ceiling. And what's exciting about this class, the only hitch with Musgrave is how many times, Paul, we've seen teams double dip at tight end and the second tight end ends up being better, right? Mark Andrews uh, comes to mind right away. Dennis Pitta also with the Ravens. You know, this is something where Tucker Craft is a good player. Tucker Craft is a very good player. So we're just going to have to watch how that plays out. Musgrave obviously has a higher ceiling. We can toss Luke Schoonmaker in there. It's Jake Ferguson's job right now. Schoonmaker has a higher ceiling, another Matt Waldman favorite. This is a really deep class at tight end, but I also think you can't afford to be too patient at tight end. Sometimes these guys take longer to develop. That's why I like Kincaid and Laporta, especially because I think they were drafted first and foremost to be weapons in the passing game. Yeah, and both of them, I think, are going to be thrust right into yeah. a heavy work share, whether Kincaid is a part of two tight end sets or they line him up as the slot wide receiver. Because I don't think I think they'll still make use of Dawson Knox. But I think he's going to be on the field a lot. I think Laporte is going to be the starter right from the get go there. Uh, and he might even get more opportunities right out of the gate again, just like Jameer Gibbs with that Jamison Wayne suspension. They could lean on a couple of young pass catchers there in Gibbs and Laporta. Let's take this over to the wide receivers, which mm-hmm. I think is a, a very challenging, I would say, you know, uh, group this year to kind of decipher how, you know, what is their ceiling? Is it a bunch of guys who maybe if they hit their ceiling, they're low wide receiver twos? Are are any of them guys who really profile to even be wide receiver ones, let alone right, fantasy right, wide receiver right. ones? I think, I, I think you know, it, it's interesting. Let's start with Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Like mm-hmm. he lands in this situation here where I do think his redraft value is outrageously high for my liking, even though I absolutely love the player. Uh, going, I think, clearly ahead of Tyler Lockett last time I saw her, and yeah. all Tyler Lockett does is produce. Uh, so let's start there. Do you do you think JSN's redraft value is too high? And if, for a long-term perspective, do you envision a scenario where this is a guy who could, for Seattle, become maybe not at the level of Cooper Cup's greatness, but the focal point of a right. passing game as Cooper Cup became for the Rams? And I'm glad you brought up Cooper Cup because Shane Waldron is the offensive coordinator there. And Waldron, of course, was under Sean McVay. So that's one of the things that's really exciting about Smith and Jigba right now because uh, three wide sets and putting defenses on their heels in compromising positions, uh, certainly Waldron knows a thing or two about that. And Cooper Cup was able to really be the biggest fantasy beneficiary there. Now, for this year, though, I agree with you. Tyler Lockett can still play. And it, I'll say this. If you don't think that that ADP is too aspirational for Smith and Jigba, then you should be drafting Geno Smith as your quarterback. Because, and I think J.J. Zacharyson was on my show recently talked about this. You know, when three wide receivers are going as high, or three pass catchers that are going as high as they are in fantasy drafts, that tends to forecast, if we're right, a big year for the quarterback. And it makes sense that Geno Smith could take that second year leap uh, with the confidence of the organization, with the offensive line getting older. Uh, they did an incredible job revamping that offensive line last year through the draft. So I do think that as an offense, maybe we should be optimistic, but for Smith and Jigba this year, no. Uh, and then it's just a question of long-term. And I suppose the best argument I can make long-term for Smith and Jigba is look at what he did production-wise at Ohio State next to very productive future pros, right? So if he, and now we're 
granted, not every college program rationally rolls out their players, right? Look at what Tony Pollard, how little Tony Pollard did in Memphis. So we can't, I don't like the argument to say, well, he couldn't beat out this guy in this college program. So why should we think he's going to amount to anything in the NFL? I do, however, like the more positive argument of when coaches looked at this guy next to this other guy who we know is a productive and good pro and thought, yeah, they're in the same galaxy of talent, then that means something to me. So even though those wide receivers went off the board four in a row, I do think Smith and Jigba has a little bit more of a gap because of what he accomplished and maybe because his draft status was his capital was maybe dragged down a little bit by being banged up. Uh, But I I think this is more a great pick for Seattle than a great pick for Smith and Jigba's fantasy value. But to tie this up and I think lead into some of these other takes, Paul, there's not really the classic wide receiver one. And maybe there's not going to be many more of those kind of players because the roles are becoming more segmented, more specialized, and that's okay. Where it becomes more difficult, Paul, from a fantasy perspective is trying to figure out the offenses that can make that kind of player. Because what do we have? So many undersized playmakers, right? So many guys who can get open. Maybe they have some deep speed, but they're not what we think of as the classic X receiver, the big bully who can go up against your most at, most athletic, strongest corner and win, win at the catch point, win in physical rerouting and other uh, strategies to try to make things difficult for that player. Which offenses can really feature or showcase a player like that and just because of the Cooper Cup, Shane Waldron, Rams connection here, I think Smith and Jigba is one of the better bets to do that. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch him in that offense. Uh, not that we'll go down this rabbit hole, but when you really start to look at it and then what Geno Smith became and what he could be theoretically, I think, this year, you know, that's going to go down as one of the more lopsided trades in the, in the history of the NFL, Russell Wilson to Seattle. Like, I mean, Russell Wilson from Seattle to Denver, what they've done with their picks in the first year, what they appear to have done maybe in, in the ones that they had left this year, and then Russell declining, Geno yep. coming in, and then opening up the offense after Russell Wilson left. So many levels there. <laughs> that, could, that could be a two-hour podcast just That's a movie on script. that. Yeah, right there. Uh, if we take this to that next group of wide receivers, I really try to get my pulse on what's out there in the community in terms of rankings and thoughts on, on people. I love Zay Flowers. He was my number two wide receiver yes. pre-draft. He's my number. He was my number three post-draft for rookie rankings, but I basically had them all in a row, uh, you know, after Smith and Ajigba, like a, a little bit of a, and then the next guys, right. You know, next group of wide receivers, most people either have flat third like me, then he may even have him at four, you were one of the few in the industry I saw had him at two. Yeah. What is it about Zay Flowers, that landing spot that has you a little bit more excited about Zay than, say, Jordan Addison and Quinton Johnson? Well, I think they're going to free Lamar Jackson, right? They signed him to an extension without an agent. That worked out okay for Lamar. So let's just revise that. I wonder how many people said I was wrong that were saying, come on, if he just had an agent, this wouldn't be going this way. Uh, also, Paul, for looking at the sh- short-term, intermediate-term horizon here. Odell Beckham's a one-year deal. Rashad Bateman will see... I've seen the name Sammy Watkins come up. I'm getting queasy. Uh, When people are looking at the foot problems he's having, or you're saying, oh, he's good. If he just You'll see when he's healthy how good he is. So I think you have a situation here where Lamar Jackson, who's featured more as a pocket passer in a more up-tempo offense and a more aggressive offense... Uh, Zay Flowers could become his guy. 
And I, I think the other thing you have to like about Zay Flowers is when we've watched Lamar Jackson over the course of his career, cold zones, more outside the numbers, downfield, hot zones, middle of the field. And I think that's where Zay Flowers, especially right away, can do a lot of his damage. Uh, I, Jordan Addison is very similar. Jordan Addison might take off more if Beckham and or Bateman stay healthy, then Addison can have a better rookie year or more productive early career. And I do think you have to look back at Pitt Addison and not USC Addison. I don't think what USC asks Addison to do is what Minnesota is going to ask him to do. And if Addison just inherits Adam Thielen's targets, then he could be a bigger immediate hit. So I understand why some might put him ahead. And then Johnston is interesting because Johnston is a bit of uh, a, a riddle or a tricky player. When you look at his size and speed, you think outside receiver, right? You think that's the replacement for Mike Williams. But actually, he's more the replacement for Keenan Allen. I think he's more of a big slot. I think to get his run after catch ability in play, you want him to uncover with two-way go and quickly, even though he doesn't have the classic slot receiver springiness to get open like Flowers, like an Addison, like a Smith and Jigba. So he's a little bit more of a riddle. That being said, there's a case to be made for him that if Joe Lombardi was holding back this offense, if Kellen Moore helps unlock more of what Justin Herbert can do, maybe not this year if Allen and Williams stay healthy, but down the line, Johnston can turn into one of his main targets in a very productive offense. So they're pretty tightly packed, and I don't think it's definitive which one's two, three, or four. I think that if you get the fourth one in your rookie draft, you got a value because they're that close together. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think it's going to be interesting with Todd Monk and the new OC of Baltimore. I'm excited to watch him. Like, I feel like Baltimore was always fun to watch, but you kind of knew what to expect. Yeah. I feel like this year, watching those Baltimore games – I have a distinct feeling we're not going to see like a Baltimore Pittsburgh game be like a 10, one of those 10, seven games <laughs> no. or like those nine, six games that, that like sometimes are fun to watch if you love defense. But if you're looking for fantasy action, you weren't usually getting it at times. I feel like Baltimore is going to play a very different style this year. I think that was probably some of the negotiations that Lamar wanted to know yep. that it was going to be like that. And it was going to be, you know, as he's getting a little bit older, you know, more of a, a pass centric offense and him uses athleticism in a variety of ways. So it's going to be fun to watch day. I think, like you said, I I'm I don't think they're all in on Bateman. I think there's a greater chance that he's not with the team next year than him becoming like a really good, relevant star in Baltimore as a pass catcher. So I think the floodgates are open there for Zay Flowers to become the number one wide receiver, maybe number two overall, you know, behind Mark Andrews. Uh, Addison, we know, you know, everyone, he's stepping in a situation where he's never going to become the alpha. Right. And they really love Hawkinson and they showed how much they love the ones they got him. So that could be a situation where, yeah, Addison's a clear number two wide receiver, but is he the number three option? And what's their quarterback situation look like exactly. long term if they move on from Kirk Cousins and Quinton Johnson, I was a little bit further down on him than other people. Uh, I like your thoughts on maybe because I have my uh, I have my concerns about whether or not he can consistently create separation on the outside with his, with his route running, mm-hmm. but maybe mm-hmm. that big slot is where they take advantage of his skill sets, the run after the catch, his play strength and physicality that sometimes he doesn't always play up to either is something he's, he's got to show. So I, I love the top three guys, I, Smith and the Jigba. Then I kind of have Zay and Addison in their own tier. I have Quinton Johnston. Closer, I, I'll say this. I have Mingo closer to Quinton Johnston than I do right. Mingo to the rest of the group. So before we go to that rest of that group, and I'll just pick your brain on one or two of them, what's your thoughts on Jonathan Mingo and maybe his immediate production? And do you think he has a ceiling maybe similar to Quinton Johnston? 
Sure. And I think that maybe th- their applications could be similar. And again, the NFL is more open to it's so funny, Paul, because on one hand, when we're talking about running back, we're saying smaller running backs, running backs that don't have the BMI, the guys that you aren't going to slam into the line 20 times a game that can still be very productive fantasy running backs. Alternatively, we're saying slot receiver, even with Dalton Kincaid, slot receiver doesn't mean Hunter Renfro, right? It doesn't mean a, a water bug. It doesn't mean a guy that's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, although you know, these, the dimensions of someone like, say, Flowers, uh, that doesn't mean we can have big slots. And I think that Jonathan Mingo might also fit best as a big slot to get that run after catchability. You know, maybe a, a little bit of a discount A.J. Brown. Of course, we want to compare players when they play in the same programs. I'm more focused on Terrace Marshall. I'm more focused on D.J. Chark. When I'm looking at the Panthers and I'm trying to see who's going to riff, who's going to become Bryce Young's guy right away. Uh, I like TJ Chark. It just needs to stay healthy. I love the fact that Deuce Staley personally recruited him to come to the Panthers offense. He did have some surgery on that foot ankle tricky situation that's been an issue for him. Uh, But Terrace Marshall is a guy I want to focus in on because we liked him a lot two years ago. He was a second round pick. Likewise, we would say about Smith and Jigba, you know, when you watch Terrace Marshall, next to guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, who are the two elite running uh, receivers in the game right now. Shout out to LSU football, right? Uh, Marshall fit in with them, right? When you watch that tape, there wasn't this massive disparity in talent when you would go switch between these receivers. I think that Marshall was in Matt Rule's doghouse, and you saw that once Rule was fired, all of a sudden Marshall was active and productive. Now what can he do with a real quarterback? So I guess that's my way of answering your Jonathan Mingo question is I want to talk about Terrence Marshall. <laughs> yeah, and listen, I, I was right there with you. I was a big Terrence Marshall fan the year he was coming out. You know, I thought I thought he got a great – I thought he was a great pick by the Panthers. And, and it, it's interesting, right? He's still young enough – like I feel like people have forgotten about him, but he's still very young that it's just like we look for that immediate gratification, right, that immediate production. But he's still a very young player. We're talking new regime, new quarterback, different offense. Like he could easily end the opportunity is there, right? They brought in two veterans in Chark and Adam Thielen. They drafted Mingo in the second round. They don't have their first round pick next year. So they're not they're not in a position to really go out and get unless they sign a big time free agent next year, which probably their timeline isn't ready for that mm-hmm. just yet. So they're probably gonna give the the younger guys on their team a real opportunity. So it, it brings Marshall to the forefront a little bit. It brings Mingo as a rookie to the forefront, maybe a little bit more than other teams in that situation that had more established players. Thielen is who he is at this point, a savvy veteran. DJ Chark, yeah, there's some untapped still upside that we haven't seen since his best in Jacksonville. But again, he's also been around a little bit now. So it's kind of exciting to see with that new offense, with the quarterback, just how that situation plays out. Last question of the night. Yeah. And this is something I've been talking about a lot. The next seven wide receivers, mm-hmm. to me, you can really rank them in almost any order yeah. you want. And I really do think you can make a strong argument for the, your ranking. What's fascinating is, though, is that we know other positions get mixed in in rookie drafts, obviously, in the second round, third round, that sometimes there's like a 12 to 15 
gap differential between where mm-hmm. the first one of these guys comes off and where the last one of this group of seven with other positions mixed in. So like, it looks like there should be this big disparity, kind of what we we're talking about with the running backs before in the real NFL. If you still have your rookie draft, there's going to be wide receivers who go middle of second. And then there's going to be wide receivers who go like middle to the latter part of the third. And there's not this huge disparity between them. And somebody might have that guy who goes in the middle of second, seventh in this list of guys, yep. The guys I'm obviously talking about, Jaden Reed, Josh Downs, Jalen Hyatt, Rishi Wrights, Marvin Mims, Tank Dell, and Cedric Tillman. Is there one or two you're most excited about, whether it's short-term, long-term, from that group of seven? Yeah, I think that you hit on the most important point for folks is you just want to be drafting at the end of this tier. Just trade down. You know, if only two or three of the guys from this tier are gone, trade down. And you're going to get somebody from an overall range of outcomes point of view that is pretty similar. Josh Downs is good. Look, when Matt Harmon, who is a wide receiver guru, is on my show and says, I can't believe Josh Downs fell to the third round. Josh Downs isn't that different than Addison or Flowers or Smith and Jigba in terms of how you're going to deploy him on the field, right? I mean, he's yeah, he, was my wide, he was my wide receiver parade. Yeah. Ahead of Jordan Addison pre-draft. Just exactly. to put it in perspective, one person's opinion, but he right. was my wide receiver for he smushed in between Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison, but the, where he went was, what is it, 60 picks later or 50 right. picks later? Right. And let's see what Anthony Richardson can do, what Shane Steichen can do, because they're going to attack downfield. They're, they're going to give Shane, uh, Shane Steichen is going to give Anthony Richardson shot plays. He's going to use that prodigious arm strength. That's Josh Downs. That's Josh Downs. So Josh Downs stands out out of that group. And I think that that is the guy, often he's going at the end of that tier too, which doesn't make as much sense to me. Um, so you're right. But I think you hit on the main thing. Now, I'm even, I don't even think most people see him in this group, but I want to toss Tyler Scott out there too. I don't think Tyler Scott is that different than the first round receivers. He fell to the fourth round. Now, right now you might say, well, there's Chase Claypool, DJ Moore. Of course, DJ Moore's not going away. There's uh, a Chase Claypool, you know, come on, there's Darnell Mooney. Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney are going to be free agents next year. Teams are the good teams, the good front offices, Paul. They're looking at the depth chart two or three years from now. They're not looking at the depth chart this year. So I think Tyler Scott is a guy that gives you a lot of opportunity. I want to mention, because as I said at the top of the show, we can talk about these players with a context of what they've done early so far in their career. I want to mention Puka Nakua over with the Rams. Because there's just been such a steady drumbeat of positivity about this guy. There's a massive wide open opportunity in this passing game. And I think this is a guy that if he can stay healthy, we may look back on just like Amon Ross ain't Brown. Because isn't a lot of the same stuff we're hearing, Paul, right? Competitive toughness, right? Versatility. Just get the ball in his hand some way and let him get to work. So Amon Ross St. Brown going in the top 15 or so redraft leagues should be opening people's minds. Cooper Cup. In these new 21st century pass offenses, the role creates the fantasy value and efficiency and execution as much as stellar talent and traits and gifts. So Puka Nakua is a really interesting guy to me, especially if Cooper Cup has any more injury issues, Uh, certainly in an offense that knows how to manufacture touches for players like him. So I think we're going to continue to get more information in training camp and in preseason, but we can start already to resort what we thought we believed about these players based on their destinations and what we thought about them, even their first year prospects in fantasy football. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that you, you you brought up Puka and also Tyler Scott, I think, are really interesting. Listen, if Tyler Scott would have won at the end of the second round, nobody would have won the thing. Yeah, if the, if the Giants Broncos were, took if, him, yeah. Yeah, like he he came and visited the Giants. If the Giants would have made him the pick where they took John Michael Schmidt or where they took Jalen Hyatt, everyone would have been like, good pick. Good he pick. has the speed element that they needed, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, n- no one expected his teammate to get drafted ahead of him. Right. And, you know, I've been saying That's the Raiders I for think, you. Yeah, I, I think he's <laughs> – I think Darnell Mooney, unless he has some monster season, I think there, I think Tyler Scott's going to be the replacement for what Darnell Mooney brings to the table. Yeah. I just think that is what it is. And then in terms of Puka, they, you know, they have an opportunity right now for him to emerge. And who's to say if they, if Sean McAvoy doesn't call it quits at the end of this year and somebody new comes in and they blow it up, Cooper Cup's a little bit older than I think most yeah. people realize. And he still would have tremendous trade value if they say, okay, Aaron Donald's retiring, Matt Stafford's retiring, or whatever. They may blow it up, right? So it just, if they see something from him, who's to say he can't emerge and just climb that depth chart very quickly, even with Cooper Cup there? And then if they ever make a, you know, a franchise type altering trade with shipping Cooper Cup out at some point, even get more targets thrown his way. So I think he's a really unique day three wide receiver, who I think was round five, if I remember correctly, yep. uh, who who could get an opportunity quickly and then also have sustainability down the line. You don't always see that from day three wide receivers, especially after the round four, right? Occasionally we see someone round four. After that, it's usually got to be a, a unique circumstance. But I think you brought up the guy who has that unique circumstance from this draft class for sure. Sigmund, thank you as always. It is always so much fun talking to you, coming on your live draft show, you know, for the draft every single year that I've been doing recently. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm sure all my audience knows where to follow you, but just remind them again, if not, if there's anything specific you're working on over at Football Guys during the summer that you want to promote, please do so. Sure. You know, Sigmund Bloom on Twitter, footballguys.com for all of your fantasy football needs. And uh, we love this stuff. And I think that coming on the show with you, Paul, you know, you've always been Saturday and Sunday has always been a great friend of everything that we do because there's a sense of taking it seriously in this in so much as if I'm going to put my name on it, it's going to have time. It's going to have deliberation. It's going to have experience behind it. But at the same time, what powers us is the passion is the excitement is the buzz we get watching these players do all these transcendental things. And that powers us and excites us. So we're serious about the work that we want to put our name on, but what makes us want to do that work is how exciting, how invigorating it is to just let this all wash over you and try to make some sense out of it as we project these players. And uh, obviously the audiences we've been able to cultivate through that work, the sort of self-selecting nature of how we do get down to sometimes very fine details, but always in the name of getting a player or getting an offense and, and trying to take that and make that actual in fantasy football or just enrich your experience of watching games. That's why what's sustainable is us always getting together and spending time together, just riffing about this stuff, gathering the people around us that also are energized by this. And I hope we can continue to do it for many years. Absolutely. And you know, I've gone on record. I've said it to you before. The support from you and Matt Waldman and so many other in the industry has been the beacon for Saturday to Sunday to continue to do what we're doing. We never imagined when we started this way back when that we'd be where we are now. And a lot of it is attributed to the people like yourself and other people in the fantasy industry who, you know, were willing to come on our show, were willing to bring us on their shows uh, and, and make that connection and relationship, which has been the best aspect of doing this for sure. So thank you for all uh, that you have done for us as well. So 
on behalf of SIG, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>